Howdy, riders. Welcome back to another episode of Ride Between the Wines, virtual edition. In this episode, I'm speaking with Alberto Chiarlo from Michele Chiarlo, so Michele Carlo's son, um, all the way in Piemonte. Um, amazing Barberas, Barolos, Moscatos, Gavi. Very fun episode. Very cool to talk to this guy. Uh, stick around for the end of the episode for my local restaurant Take 5 segment, where I'll be talking with George Kessler of Il Giorgione, which is a cool little uh, Italian place right here in town. Um, so, uh, buckle up. Let's ride. The world we live in is an amazing one, full of passion, wonderment, and of course, fine wine. This is the story of one man's journey to fully understand and appreciate that world. So kick the tires and light the fires. It's time to ride between the wines. It's Burgundian in style. Just a whisper of cherry. Very nice legs. This is so perfectly balanced. Such an old world style. Is this laced with tobacco? A total fruit bomb. I say, say, Ponzi! <laughs> How are you? Come stai? Molto bene, grazie. Tu? Molto bene, grazie. Um, thank you so much for doing this. This is uh, super exciting for me to be on here. Um, grazie molto. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very pleased to be on board. Sorry for uh, my English. Oh, no, you, you'll be great. <laughs> Um, sorry for my Italian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, all right, well, um, to start off with, um, first of all, what's your name that popped up here? Cherequo? My name is Alberto. I know, what, what is your Palace Cerequo? Palace Cerequo is our um, uh, small uh, hotel devoted to Barolo single vineyards. Oh, okay. That's what I was wondering. All that right. is in the middle of our top vineyard in Barolo, Cerequio. Uh, it's a 19th century estate uh, in which we collect uh, more than 500 Barolos from different producers. And yes. so each day we make uh, super Barolo tastings, not only Chiaro. Oh, that's nice. Can you, um, so could we just start off? Could you just tell me um, a little bit about you and then take your family back um, to Pietro maybe or whatever would be fantastic? Wonderful. Well, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm the only one in the family that is not a winemaker because uh, <laughs> my brother, my father, uh, my grandfather, uh, they, uh, they have been a winemaker. Currently, my brother is a winemaker that is also in charge of all the vineyard practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father, Michael, is the founder and the CEO, and sorry, and the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he has been making his 63rd harvest in 2019, so he has uh, quite an experience. Yeah. Everything started from my grandfather, Pietro, that uh, uh, started as a very small uh, Barbera producer, uh, in the 1929, and then uh, the winery started with my father's name in '56. Okay. Um, I'm in charge for sales and marketing, uh, and uh, we are, you know, it's uh, it's about family, you know. So it's, uh, we are 100% uh, you know uh, family because uh, the wines are created by my brother uh, with the experience of my father. 
uh, and uh, you know we 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 have all the family involved uh, in our different projects uh, like uh, for example the one of uh, of the Barolo hotel that we have created with other members of the family so oh. and we are ready for the next generation we have uh, uh, four kids Chua uh, myself and Chu Stefano that hopefully we uh, we've been the wine too that's great Wait, so now P was Pietro was also a winemaker before yes. your father? Yeah, and, and, sorry, no, he was a grower. He was a grower and a grower, uh, yeah. the his farm uh, that is in the village in which we are still uh, uh, nowadays, Caramandrana, okay. that is a small village in the Asti area, uh, in which essentially uh, is uh, uh, the last village of Barbera and the first village of Moscato d'Asti, geographically okay. speaking. Okay. Because the Barbera area is around the Nizza area, that is also the appellation that there is in these days about Barbera d'Asti, the premium appellation. And so, uh, uh, Caramandrana, our village, is uh, three miles from Nizza, on one side. Uh, on the other side is three miles from Canelli, that is the Moscato d'Asti capital. Mm -hmm. So, each vineyard that you see in our village is, uh, if it's red, is Barbera, if it's white, is Moscato. Okay. And, and so, from the beginning of the establishment of Michele Chiarlo um, Classic, um, have that, was your first white Moscato and your first red Barbera? Is that? Yes. Uh, well, let's say that uh, from uh, the 1930 up to 58, uh, these were the only wines produced by us. Okay. So it was only Barbera Moscato. Then my father started producing in Barolo in 58. That was his first vintage. And he started making a single vineyard Barolo Barbaresco in 67. So gradually uh, he has extended from uh, the farm of my grandfather. Uh, he has been purchasing uh, vineyards in, uh, in two areas. One is in the Barolo Barbaresco area and uh, the other is in Gavi area for the whites. Uh, so nowadays uh, we are uh, a little complete uh, about Piemonte because we have mm -hmm. vineyards, uh, and especially single vineyards, in, in these uh, three uh, big uh, wine areas uh, of Piemonte. Before we go too much further, I want to talk a little bit about Moscato d'Asti. Um, so, or Moscato. So in America, Moscato is a, it's sort of a tough sell for us because you either, you either love it or you hate it, and there's not a lot of middle ground. Can you talk about, for, for actual um, uh, natives, Italians, the role Moscato plays? When do they drink it? Is it dessert? Is it lunch wine? You know? Well, uh, first of all, let me tell you one thing as a salesman. Uh, you know, usually when I come, uh, like in the US, with my bag, uh, with uh, guys uh, like you, we go around, you know, we have uh, the samples. And usually, you know, we have like a percentage of success of 25-30% when you taste the wine. With our Moscato, we have a percentage of success of 60%. Because uh, uh, especially we like that when uh, in the tasting, you know, there are people that they have bad stereotypes against Moscato because they think it's too sweet. Right. To make it taste. Because Moscato Dusty, as you know, it's the same grape, but it's a totally different animal. No? Yeah. It's lighter, it's bubble, you know, the very good acidity, you know, mm -hmm. so it's not, 
to have it. And this is uh, how the Italians uh, drink Moscato. So they, they, they drink, uh, generally speaking, especially in the South, uh, they drink uh, Moscato is the wine for finishing uh, a good dinner, especially that there is no a celebration without Moscato di Asti. So if you uh, have a wedding uh, or if you have a birthday, uh, uh, you have Moscato d'Asti at the end uh, with the fruit cake or with fruit uh, dishes. Uh, but more and more, especially in the north, uh, is becoming a kind of uh, Italian tea, no? Because out of dinner uh, aperitif, you know, uh, the people, especially the young people, they learn to drink Moscato as an aperitif too, you know, mm. or close to the swimming pool uh, in the summer, you know, because again, it's very light. It's a kind. Of, it's five point of alcohol. It's like a beer, you know. Yeah. So, you know, and it's refreshing. Uh, it's very refreshing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Do you do you how how are Moscato sales? Have you guys are they increasingly better every year? Are you? Yeah. Well, you know, another interesting thing, for example, is that uh, wine uh, wine searcher is sending uh, to us, like to all the producer, each uh, month. Is sending us which are the wines more popular of Chiaro, mm -hmm. and Nivoli, uh, our Moscato d'Asti, is always by far the most popular. Is actually one of the 20 most popular wines above $20 in US, according to wine search. Wow, that's quite a statement. No, <laughs> uh, you know, because I mean, for me as marketing guy, is also frustrating in a way because there are people that know Nivole, but they do not know that it's Chiaro. You know, is is the the brand of of itself. So where, I have to put them together. Where where do you get the word Nivole? Well, Nivole is because it's simply the Piemonte dialect, the Piemonte language, and it stays for clouds. For uh, you know something, uh, nuvole which is in Italian oh, because we want to because in the label there is a sun and the clouds because we want to suggest the idea that is light as a cloud you know oh. uh, and uh, and also is the title of a song of a very good uh, Piemonte singer you know Nivole that was very jazz very romantic you okay. know so we like uh, that. I named my daughter with this name, so I particularly like this name. Oh, your daughter's name is Nivola? It's Bianca Nivola, White oh. Cow. Oh, I love that. That's sweet. Um, well, okay, so let's, uh, well, let's, let's talk about one more white before we get into the reds. Um, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about Gavi. I, I think a lot of people don't actually know what Gavi is. Um, yeah, what, what is that? What's the purpose of it? What do you guys do there? Well, you know, the Gavi is traditionally for Italians, and especially for Italian restaurants, one of the very classical uh, white wine all over Italy in good restaurants, especially for fish. Okay. That's because uh, Gavi is very fresh with a very good acidity, uh, but also is very lemon, orange based, so it's not too aromatic, it's not too heavy. You know, and so is a, a classical, uh, you know, restaurant wine. Um, the grape is Cortese. Cortese is a, is a kind of generic grape all over Italy because you can find Cortese not only in Piemonte, but in most of central and northern Italy. 
Okay. But usually is a, a, a vino da tavola, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not a DOCG, no. Right. And uh, that's because it's not too aromatic, too expressive. Mm-hmm. In the Gavi area, the Cortese gives totally different results, especially in the Gavi village, that is the, the main part. That's because it's a very high area with uh, 400 meters of altitude and uh, it's very particular microclimate because uh, during the day there are the wind arriving from the seaside because it's only t- 15 miles from the Mediterranean Sea, from uh, Liguria. And during the night, there are the winds arriving from the Apennines mountains that are only 10 miles north. So as all the wi- great white, there is big difference between mm-hmm. uh, night and day. Right. And uh, soil very mineral with a good structure. And so at the end, Gavi is not only a good wine, but especially the good Gavi di Gavi are among the few Italian whites that age very well. Mm. So they're not they are a little different from Arnaise, for example, that is another white from Piemonte. Because usually in Italy, we drink Arnaise in the first year. Uh-huh. And instead, we start to drink Gavi from the second year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, our single vineyard, Gavi di Gavi Rovereto, that we started importing in the US this year, uh-huh. is the only white wine for which we do like for the top red wine that we do not sell like 200 cases and we collect them and then we release after five years. Wow. Uh, because uh, uh, with this good uh, backbone of acidity, uh, with the evolution then is like a, I don't know how to say, like a very good Chablis. Uh, so it's becoming more honey, more complex, but always keeping uh, this freshness. So it's a, it's a versatile uh, white wine. I did, I did not realize that Gavi aged so well. That's nice. I'll have to try some older Gavi. <laughs> Let's say that sometimes the problem is the opposite. That if you drink agave too young, mm-hmm. let's say in, uh, in spring after the harvest, the acidity is too high and is okay. not still very balanced, uh, especially for the, from the nose profile. You know? So uh, we try to release gavi always after the summer. Sometimes we have to release in advance because Italian restaurants, they like to have... Uh, you know, the wine uh, in September, the new vintage. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, you know, under a technical point of view, it's much better if you wait for a while. Okay. Well, cool. Well, that's exciting. All right. So let's, let's talk about reds then, because this is, this is where we're here. <laughs> um, well, let's, let's start with Barbera first, since that's really where you guys uh, started. But then I do want to get to some of your single vineyard Barolos and kind of talk about um, that stuff there, but uh, but Barbero, you know, what's special about yours? What do you do with the Barbero? Give me, give me a well, little. You know, Barbero again is is really our family grape, no? Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is the is also the wine that in our family we drink uh, eight days on, on ten. So that's for demonstrating how we inside our uh, blood. But uh, <laughs> in Barbero, we have been uh, collecting vineyard. Uh, uh, for 60 years. Mm-hmm. Now we have uh, more than 50 acres of Barbera. And they are all uh, in the heart of the classical production area, in the Asti area. But as we will uh, say better when we speak about single vineyard, 
specifically they are in the Nizza area. Mm-hmm. That is the, 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 the Nizza is for Barbera, what Barolo is for Nepiolo. So mm-hmm. it's the, the capital and the place in which they're the best. And the specifically speaking about our Barbera d'Asti Reorme, that is uh, our, uh, the most popular wine that we have uh, in the yeah. US. Uh, what we like to underline, first of all, is that uh, 50% of Reorme comes from La Courte, from our top vineyard in uh, the Barbera area. Oh, yeah. Because we have got this uh, big estate that is managed like a chateau, divided into four uh, vineyards for producing four different Barbera. Uh-huh. And uh, more than 50% of these estates, so a total of uh, 22 acres, goes into Reorme. So Reorme is a classical wine, but that uh, the first source uh, is a great vineyard. And this uh, is very important. The second thing uh, very important about Barbera is, uh, is to, to be very, very uh, extreme in the vineyard. Uh, Barbera is a grape uh, that produces too much. Okay. So uh, with Barbera, you need to do green harvest. You have to go in the vineyards one month in advance. And from the 10 bunches that are uh, changing color, you have to cut at least three or four of them and to throw away. So they are the ones that remain, they can ripen in a better way and they can have uh, a lower acidity because sometimes Barbera has too high acidity. Okay. Uh, and uh, this is a process that uh, we've been doing, the second in Italy doing this process, uh, Green Harvest. We started in 1984, and uh, obviously we do in a very extreme way for single vineyards. Mm-hmm. But uh, if there is a wine for which is very important, is Barbera. Because uh, again, Barbera needs to have uh, less uh, grapes uh, with more juice, uh, with a more... Uh, uh, important juice right. because a lot of times some Barbera they are uh, a little too uh, simple instead uh, our Barbera wants to be a very uh, good structure but also has to be good from the beginning because we do not use too much oak our Barbera just see three months of big barrels so the oak influence is nothing everything is about the fruit Mm-hmm. But it has to be a very balanced fruit. And that's why it's important, uh, first, to select uh, great vineyards, but second, also to, uh, to do a lot of green harvest in the vineyard. Mm-hmm. And so, so you have La Corte and you have Lorme. Uh, what's Cipressa? Yeah. Well, let's say that uh, uh, Lorme, as you know, is a Barbera di Asti, mm-hmm. as the appellation, is a DOCG. Instead, the Yakut, like Cipressi, they are Nizza. Nizza is the newest DOCG appellation. Okay. So, uh, big area is Barbera di Asti, 130 villages okay. of the classical area, mm-hmm. maximum 9 tons per hectare, 12 months of uh, aging. Okay. Then, uh, you have Nizza. Nizza is uh, 19 villages, so only the heart of the 130 villages of the Barbera di Asti. Okay. Seven tons per hectare, maximum yield, so lower than Barolo and Barbaresco, and minimum 18 months of aging. So Nizza is like 
18 months of, okay. of aging. Okay. Of which, uh, 12 of which uh, of oak, of berry aging. Oh, okay. So, so Nizza, again, is a kind of Barolo of the Barbera, no? or, uh, you know, a super, uh, super, super Barbera. Barbera. <laughs> uh, super Barbera. And Gakpurt uh, and Cipressi, they are both Nizza uh -huh. uh, as appellation. Uh, so they both have very uh, severe uh, green harvest and they come only from special vineyard because I forgot to tell you a very important thing that Nizza also is only south facing vineyard. So in the same state, you can use only 25% of the vineyard that are the ones that are completely facing south. Um, that's why in the same state, we produce La Courte and Cipressi, that are the two vineyards in the south facing. And then we produce Leorm, Barbera di Asti, because the part of the estate that is not south is used for Leorm. Okay. Um, in Nizza, how many different producers are using grapes from there? Nizza now, we are more than 60 producers okay. with uh, this appellation. We had, uh, you know, also good, uh, important uh, ratings because, uh, for example, uh, last year, uh, Cipressi was wine of the year for wine enthusiasts on 16,000 wine tasted, but every year we have very good scores. And especially there is, uh, you know, Nizza is an appellation uh, that in this moment is very um, liked by sommelier and by journalists because it's the newest, the hottest Piemonte appellation, but also is very uh, severe, you know, very technical. And so, you know, is, uh, there is really a, a big uh, work of, um, uh, of uh, winemaking. Usually all the Nizza, they are above $40 retail, you know, in terms of price category. So Cipressi is the first uh, pop Nizza. Because the Cipressi, even if he has all these laws, is around 25. Uh, so this is also, and Cipressi is also uh, only big barrel, like Orme. Mm -hmm. Instead, La Courte is uh, so is the same estate of Cipressi, but the difference is that uh, Cipressi is a Nizza, so 18 months. Uh -huh. La Courte is a Nizza Reserve. So it's 30 months okay. of aging, like uh, between a Barbaresco and a Barolo, no? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, also for La Courte, we do five tons per hectare instead of okay. the seven tons per hectare. And last, La Courte is uh, technically is a delayed harvest because we pick up the grapes two weeks after the classical harvest time. So it's not uh, because we want to arrive to the extreme point when the skin is very uh, thin, but uh, a lot of sugar, a lot of polyphenols, uh, mm -hmm. because we have uh, for a court to make um, uh, fermentation in the barrel, in the big oaks, mm -hmm. uh, old style, and then to age the court for 18 months in barrel. So we need, you know, a very powerful juice right. that is not uh, covered by the oak. Oak, right. And last uh, thing, La Courte, like uh, all our single vineyard, we do not make every year. We skip uh, 
five of the last 20 vintages. Because if the quality is not good enough, like in 2014, for example, uh -huh. uh, we use the juice of Rakurt for Cipressi. Okay, well, that's nice. Um, well, last question before we move on to Nebbiolo. Um, obviously, your family seems to drink Barbera all the time, but uh, is, there a, is there a particular couple of pairings um, that you think go extremely well with Barbera? Are there things that um, you guys always... Well, you know, the, the fact is that, uh, uh, yes, there are, and especially some uh, classical Piemonte dishes uh, like uh, ravioli, agnolotti, you know, that are mm -hmm. the handmade with uh, roast uh, sauce is perfect, but also uh, goes uh, very well with uh, uh, Barbera. Barbera is very versatile. Mm -hmm. The reason for which we drink Barbera is that you open a bottle of Barbera even if you do not know what you're going to eat, because it goes uh, well with most of dishes. goes with, with pasta and anything with tomato sauce is wonderful. But even if you have some fish course, some fish with uh, red spice, red sauce, Barbera, uh, fresh, especially during summertime, is good because it's very um, uh, low in tannin. No? So it's a kind of Pinot Noir in a way, no? yeah. Barbera. Uh, and that's why it's, uh, it's very practical. It's very different from the Nebbiolo. You know, the big Nebbiolo that we are yeah. going to speak, they request a specific type of food uh, for being at the top, you know, sometimes. Yeah, okay. Well, I agree with you completely. Yeah, I just wanted to hear. Um, so, Nebbiolo, uh, Barbaresco and Barolo, let's, let's dig in. <laughs> well, you know, it, when, it, when it's about Barolo and Barbaresco, especially when it's about top Barolo and Barbaresco. Uh, as we say in Piemonte, the vineyard is more important than the producer. Uh, that's because uh, uh, we have a very old classification, a very old ranking back to 19th century, according to which uh, there are, uh, how to say, uh, five or six vineyards in Barolo and two or three vineyards in Barbaresco that are really icons. Uh, because uh, I've been icons for centuries, but also because uh, today uh, some of the best producers have a piece of the, uh, that vineyard. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, as you know very well, in, uh, in Baron Barbaresco, we never speak about a monopole. We always speak about different producers uh, that have a small piece of that hill. Uh, the famous example is Canubi. Barolo that is a 50 acre for 25 producer. So you find 25 different Canubi labels on the market. No? Uh -huh. And so uh, for uh, the, the main goal of my father and then my brother has been to collect uh, some of the top uh, classical single vineyards. Uh -huh. uh, we started in Barolo because in the 80s we purchased uh, Canubi but especially Cerecchio that is mm -hmm. our most uh, important single vineyard. And then in the 2000, uh, we've done that with Barbaresco uh, because uh, we started with Asiri as a single vineyard. And then uh, in two years ago, we had uh, we added uh, Fazet, that is the new uh, single vineyard that we released. So uh, when you have, uh, especially, you know, I would say, especially probably with Cerecchio, the Barolo and the Asiri, in the Barbaresco, uh, it, 
it's 50% of the job is already done, no? <laughs> because you have uh, yeah, uh, incredible vineyards. Yeah. Uh, but especially you have vineyards that have um, a very strong character. And we do not change style for Barone and Barbaresco. Each Barone and Barbaresco, the winemaking is the same. Okay. So it's fermentation in the open vats and then aging in big barrel. Stop. This is what we have done for 60 years. So no modern technique, no use of barrique for any of them. But then the, 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 they are different because the vineyards are different. No? Mm -hmm. When you taste a canubi, it's super powerful. When you taste a cerecchio, it's more uh, balsamic, uh, uh, more minty, you know. So uh, this, we try to have uh, the true vineyard expression, you know, in, uh, in, those, uh, in those wines. Mm -hmm. and also because the quantity is super small, you know, the, the, the biggest quantity of all the single vineyards is Cerecchio in Barolo and Yakurt in Nizza, and we make 1,000 cases. Uh, all wow. the other uh, single vineyards, they are 500 cases, 300 cases, 200 cases, so you know, it's very, um, and not ever here, so. Yeah, that's teeny, oh, that's awesome. But uh, one thing important uh, that, uh, because otherwise uh, I, I only speak about uh, uh, the single vineyards, that uh, uh, like in the Barbera, our biggest strength in the Barolo is the fact that we have this big estate in Cerequio that is uh, a 20 acre. And we use only five acres for making Cerequio. The other 15 acres, they are the base for our classic Barolo, Tortoniano. So our classic Barolo more than 50% of the juice come from Cerecchio. And tort, if I'm not mistaken, Tortoniano is named for the soil type there? Is that accurate? It, yes, it's the name of one of the two big soils. Okay. Because in Barolo, uh, there are all these single vineyards that are very small, essentially hill by hill. But there are, uh, for dividing Barolo, you divide Barolo in two big areas. The one area, the right side, with the villages of Parolo and Gamora, and then Verduna, Novello, the soil is called Tortoniano, and is the newer soil that has more magnesium, mm -hmm. and usually the Barolo from this area are the softer in proportion. Okay. On the left side, you have Elveziano. Elvezia is the Latin name of Switzerland because this soil was coming out from the sea in the same time of Switzerland. Uh -huh. And this is richer of iron and manganese. There are the villages of Serra Lunga and Monforte. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are the Barolo with the bigger tannins that they age very, very well, but you need more patience to open them. Right. Whereas uh, and, uh, and our Barolo is called the Tortoniano because it comes from two vineyards. One is Cerequio, that is in Gamora, mm -hmm. and the other one is Sarmassa, that is always in the same village. So we, you know, we gave the name of uh, the area because uh, it's, we know that it's not the most sexy and short name to remember, but it's the name of the soil. And for us, it's important uh, when you speak about Barolo to, to make people understand that it's really a wine that is unique 
uh-huh. because of the soil. And and so Tortagnano is pretty good right out the bottle as soon as it's released. You're saying there's no need to lay it down for a long time. It's it's ready to go. Yes, exactly. This is a uh, is a, a combination of the vineyard that again, especially Cerepio, is a very is a name for producing a very soft, uh, mm-hmm. very elegant Barolo, but is also a consequence of the vineyard practices. Mm-hmm. Because uh, as I told in advance, uh, we started in 1984 in Barolo, in the Cerepio Vineyard, uh, doing these uh, vineyard practices, uh, uh, green mm-hmm. harvesting, uh, short pruning, uh, and that's, uh, is, a, is a super important in Barolo. In the Barbera, it's more important to have lower quantity. Uh-huh. In the Barolo, in the Nebbiolo, it's more important to arrive to the good ripeness of the tannins. Mm-hmm. That is not easy because sometimes you have this barolo with these green tennis. No? And, uh, uh-huh. My grandfather used to say, if a barolo is born with green tennis, it will die with green tennis. So the goal is to arrive to ripe tennis already in the vineyard. So we make all these vineyard practices because uh, only for Nebbiolo, we, we do a special analysis that is not only about of the grapes, went down the, on the vine. Mm-hmm. It is not only about the, the acidity or the pH, but is about the ripeness of the tannins, of the polyphenol. Uh-huh. And we pick up the grapes only when the tannins are soft. Right. Uh, so, and we can do this job only if we arrive, because sometimes does it need, mean that we pick up Nebbiolo in mid of October? You know, so you need to have a very strong grapes with uh, strong skin uh, uh-huh. because maybe that is raining. And so you need to do all these practices in advance because it can be a very late harvest for uh-huh. arriving with mm-hmm. the Nebula. Well, that makes sense. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm going to let you get out of here. So we're, uh, we're talking about Nebbiolo the grape, obviously. Um, what would you say... Uh, when I'm drinking the wine, what am I going to notice the biggest thing that stuck out to tell me this is a Barolo versus a Barbaresco? Well, this is a one million dollar question. <laughs> and uh, I tell you something. That this is only my personal conviction, but it's such a complex world that uh, we, if we do a blind tasting, Excuse me, sorry. Did I lose you? <laughs> you dodged, are you with, dodging uh, my with five, uh, <laughs> uh, with five um, uh, single finger barbaresco, five single finger barolo, uh-huh. it's difficult to understand which are the barolo and barbaresco if I'm uh, doing that in a bad way, no? Uh-huh. I think I'm losing you. Let's just sorry. Uh, <laughs> Can you hear me? Uh, and, and so the, the main uh, trick is um, that Barbaresco usually is uh, lighter, okay. both in terms of nose and in terms of structure uh, in the body when you taste. In Piemonte, usually we drink Barbaresco quite young, okay. when they are uh, like uh, four years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barbarosco, Barolo, we prefer when they are uh, 
at least uh, six or seven, you know, because Barbarolo has more chances. So drink young Barbaresco and age your Barbarolo would be my suggestion. That is great advice. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, everybody listening at home, please go grab some of this wine. I'll have some notes in the podcast notes about where you can find it and everything. But um, thank you so much, man. <laughs> Grazie molto, Carlo. It has been a great pleasure. The same. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> All right, folks. Welcome back to Ride Between the Wines. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode um, with Alberto, Alberto Chiarlo. Um, from Michele Chiarlo, uh, great wines, go out and try them somewhere. And uh, I happen to have somebody with me who has a place you can go out and try them, actually. Um, so with me is George Kessler of Il Giorgione. Hello. Um, welcome. Hi, Mike. Hi, thanks Hi. for being on the podcast. Hi, everybody. Hi. Yeah. Um, so uh, kind of what I'm doing with the podcast now, uh, audio and video, we, we transitioned to recently, but since um, uh, since COVID, the world's kind of changed a little bit. And yeah, so I've added sure. a reopening restaurant, local restaurant, just to talk about it. Um, it's actually funny um, for anybody who follows me on Facebook or has for a while. My um, picture popped up this morning of two years ago, which is when we did that little story for one of my, I was doing a hashtag your Columbia blog almost. And mm -hmm. I thought it was a oh, perfect timing that that just popped up in my phone. Wow, that's um, weird. Yeah, time flies, right? Yeah, it it seems like it just happened. But anyways, um, so uh, this is my take five segment, and I'm just going to ask you five questions. Okay. All right. All right. Shoot. Well, let's get started. Question number one. Number one. All right. This question is called Mamma Mia. Okay. I want to know, Mamma Mia, what's the best item on your menu? What makes you say Mamma Mia? Well, I, I think if you uh, would ask our, uh, our guests, our regular guests, they would say the rigatoni al dorato. Um, you know, it's our most popular dish uh, by far, um, and it's it's great because it's uh, it's unique to our restaurant. It's something that was created here by me and uh, our uh, former sous chef uh, Kevin McDonald. And um, one night, out of desperation for a special, uh, we came up with this dish, and um, yeah, it's become our most popular. It's a combination of two Bolognese dishes. Uh, bolognese, uh, bolognese meat ragu and a bolognese tomato sauce okay. mixed together with a little bit of cream, a little crushed red pepper, a little sea salt, and everybody loves it. So, where'd you yeah. get the name Dorato? Uh, Dorato is golden in, okay. in, in Italian, and, and uh, the bolognese tomato sauce, which is made with tomatoes and butter, is uh, generally, generally referred to as a golden tomato sauce in Bologna. So, that's what we got. I will add one of the really interesting things about both your wine list and also your menu is that, um, and if you, I'll, I'll post some notes because we won't get all this on here, but if you don't know the background here, um, the idea, you really are just taking, you know, dishes from different regions in Italy yes. because you have an Italian background, studying Italy right yes. here at USC, uh, and the wines are the same way. So I, I love that. It's, it's a very, um, it's a very unique yeah, I mean, all of the pastas and, and pizzas uh, on our menu are uh, taken directly from Italy, uh, very traditional pasta dishes, and uh, our pizzas are regionalized. So, you know, you can, if you want to, you can, uh, because our wine list is, is exclusively Italian, mm -hmm. and it tells you the region that the wine is from. So if you want to pair the wine with the food, you can do that, and that makes it kind of yes, cool. I think it's awesome. And anyways, like I was saying, in their Piemonte section mm -hmm. is where they actually have um, one of the Barberas that Michele Chiarlo 
themselves. So we were just talking about that. So yes. Great place to come check it out. And yes, get yes, some please. Piemonte it's, food. It's a great uh, Barbera from Asti. Um, it's an, a, a very versatile red wine. You can have it with pizza. You can have it with pasta. You can have it with a, with a salumia formaggi. Um, it really works well with, uh, with just about everything. Uh, it's nice and smooth. Um, have it by the glass or the bottle if you're getting something to go. Make sure you get a bottle of Michele Carolla. Take yes, home. please. Yeah, and and um, I had to go three or four days ago. Absolutely delicious. So at the moment you're just doing to go only, not any indoor dining at all. Um, yeah, yeah. But we just uh, we uh, you know we we opened up for a little while outside and the inside, and then the uh, the numbers started to spike again. So uh, and we had a you know we just thought it would be uh, prudent to. Uh, until the numbers start coming down to uh, continue to do takeout only. I like it. Good stuff. Delicious. Um, all right. Well, let's go to question number two. Okay. Question number two is called Showtime. Showtime. Now, um, I'm going to go ahead and say that I understand all of the amazing Scorsese, Coppola, Italian-American movies are probably not entirely accurate or the best portrayal of Italian-Americans. Nonetheless, I absolutely love them. Close. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know, um, one, which one of those is your favorite? And two, um, what uh, particular Italian-American actor um, do you have a favorite there, too? It's a two-part question. Okay, so out of the Italian-American movies, oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, I guess I have to go, you know, uh, Godfather or Godfather 2. Um, you know, Wait, that's an important question. Which is it? There's a lot of debate there. I love Godfather 2 because of the uh, you know the, the tie-in with De Niro playing the young Vito mm -hmm. and going back to Sicily and, and all that and you know I, I love that. Um, but I can only watch it up until the part when when the mother dies because I it just gets too heavy for me after that when you know. But I don't want to give anything away yeah. in case you haven't seen Godfather 2. You haven't but, seen it by now. Come on, yeah, go, go but you know, if you watch it past, uh, it's almost like watching the end of Old Yeller. Um, so uh, another giveaway uh, <laughs> but yeah the, the Godfather either one or two okay I'll be happy with those and do you have a favorite is De Niro also yeah be your favorite okay. De Niro and Pacino both yeah. and they're both in that movie in Godfather too so you can't go wrong with that great great choice personal favorite too yeah. all right question number three Cowabunga perfect pizza combo and also your least favorite pizza combo or let's say your least favorite pizza item because I know that the world hates pineapple pizza like if you want to just make that the thing that everybody hates that's the thing on pizza but what I know every region pizza you have is different is there for your personal taste a favorite combination of well my favorite is not everyone else's but it's the uh, we call it the La Romana here which is uh, anchovies and capers and pecorino romano cheese um, yeah so uh, I, when I was a kid, I, I couldn't stand anchovies on my pizza, and now it's like, it's my favorite thing. Oh, I love anchovies on pizza. Yeah, I love and it. capers, yeah, the yeah. salties. Oh, that's a very, if you're, if you're salt deficient, that's a, <laughs> that's a great pizza. Is there any, uh, do you have a sacrilegious, shouldn't go on a pizza, pineapple opinion, or yeah? No, man, Just it's... Eat what you like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the beauty of pizza, whatever, you, you know. I even, I, I like pineapple, uh, grilled pineapple and Spam. On mm -hmm. a pizza, I think it's delicious. I'm, I and I've I'll, never been to Hawaii. Neither have I. <laughs> Outside of Italian traditional pizzas, like um, 
bacon, pineapple, and jalapenos, like my favorite combination. Oh. Sweet, spicy, and there salty. Come exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah nice. so that's, that's the beauty of, of pizza. You can put anything on it you want. I Thank you. You hear it. Real chef. <laughs> All right. Question number four. I'm calling this La Bella Vita. <laughs> so let's say that you retire, and you're going to retire somewhere in Italy. Mm -hmm. You and Monica are going to settle down somewhere. Sounds I good. I want to know where you pick and why. Well, probably on the coast, um, either uh, on the Amalfi Coast in, in uh, Campania, which is very pricey, so it probably won't be there. Um, but on the other coast, on, on the east coast in Puglia, beautiful beaches, the Adriatic Sea, it's half the price probably of the Amalfi Coast, and it's absolutely gorgeous. So, yeah, that, that would probably be my choice. Love it. That's, that's, that's my goal is, is Italy when I finish up. I don't... Yeah, my wife, Monica, is a, a, a beach person, so... Well, there's a lot of coastline. Yes, a lot of coastline, yeah. yeah. And all that, of Sicily and Sardinia, same. Yeah, <laughs> Lots yeah. Of coastline. Well, it's, it's beautiful. Well, uh, my last question is called Stick the Landing, so let's stick the landing. And right. with this question, um, we've already covered a couple things, but, but give me a, why is this place so special? What's a little bit of your story and, and you know, what separates you from, you know, everybody else? I would have to say uh, my sometimes over-the-top passion for Italy and everything Italian. Um, you know, from, from the very beginning, eight years ago, um, our goal was to create uh, an atmosphere where someone can come here and feel like they're in Italy for however long they're here, half hour, hour, two hours, whatever. Um, and I, I like to think that we've succeeded in that with the food, with the wine, with the music, with the, uh, the visuals on the TV, with all the photographs spanning the last uh, 40 years of going to Italy. Um, but it's also become uh, very much a, a neighborhood uh, place, mm -hmm. which uh, you know we, we weren't sure about that, but Shandon is a, is a great neighborhood and has become a, a neighborhood uh, hangout. Um, People can walk here, ride their bikes here, come here with their dogs when the weather's good, sit outside. Um, and uh, so I think that's uh, you know kind of added to it. Um, but yeah, the, the whole authentic Italian experience, I think uh, really kind of sets us apart from everybody else. Well, I love it. I love coming here. Um, come check this place out. Uh, definitely great for to-go. If you're still to-going, it's, it's a great easy option. My wife and I are still doing that. Also, one other thing that I didn't have a way to work into a question, mm -hmm. but um, one of the things that I took home was the um, uh, caprese for two, but <laughs> only one guy ate it, and it is a mound of some of the best homemade buffalo mozzarella ever, and I guess... Another one of our fresh. signatures, making making fresh uh, mozzarella every day, and um, yeah, we, we have that year-round. Um, right now, we're doing it for two um, instead of doing individual caprese salads, but you know, when we're open uh, full time, um, yeah, the individual caprese salad with the fresh mozzarella is just nothing like it in Colombia. So good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for my time. For thank my you. time. Thank also, you. your time. Yeah. <laughs> Our right. time. We're going to sign off. Okay. Until next week. Ciao. And there you have it. Another episode down. Um, thank you so much for everybody involved with this. Uh, George, how about your Chiarlo? Um, go out and try these wines. McKelly Chiarlo wines are delicious. Try the food from George. Um, at Giorgione, absolutely delicious. Uh, please come back next week. Uh, we'll be talking with Vittoria Sardi, which uh, makes a delicious rosé uh, out of Tuscany. 
and uh, like, subscribe, hit the little face thing here, watch my other videos, share, tell your friends. See you next week. Until then, chin chin.